Hello everyone. Today we start a new sermon series focusing on a little book in the Bible of just three fairly short chapters. They might at first glance seem an insignificant section of the Bible to look at in some ways, but in reality I believe that they are a powerful statement to our times, our situation today in the 21st century. But let's begin together in prayer. Father in heaven, as we come to study your word in these next six weeks, we ask that you would clearly speak to our hearts and mind. Help us to see how Habakkuk's conversation with you speaks to our everyday faith as we prepare ourselves for the future you have planned. Amen. So from my prayer you'll gather that the book is the book of Habakkuk. Let's begin by thinking about the context. Some questions to ask might be, well, who was Habakkuk? What was happening in history at the time? Where did all this take place? Habakkuk's name is only mentioned twice in the Bible, in chapter 1 verse 1 and again in chapter 3 verse 1 of his little book. He does appear in a book of the Apocrypha called Bell and the Dragon. It's an additional part of Daniel, included in the canon of scripture by Catholic and Orthodox Christians, but not commonly found in Bibles today. He probably lived in Judah around the same time as the prophets Jeremiah and Nahum. There is some debate, as you might expect, as to when he actually made his prophecy. But as he speaks of God raising up the Babylonians in chapter 1 verse 6, it could be at the time between Babylon conquering Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire and when Babylon conquered Jerusalem around 587 BC. You may remember that after the reign of King Solomon, Israel split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Habakkuk was prophesying at the time when only the kingdom of Judah remained. The northern kingdom of Israel had been conquered by the Assyrians in 722 BC. The tribes of Israel had been assimilated into other cultures or were deported. It's a turbulent time in the history of the southern kingdom of Judah too, Lots of battles and conquering going on as kings sought the best for themselves in terms of allies versus oppressors. Godlessness was a feature of many of the kings, including Jehoiakim, a vassal of the Egyptians who was known to be a godless tyrant who had incestuous relationships with his mother, his daughter-in-law and stepmother, as well as murdering hundreds of husbands of wives he wanted. Jeremiah criticised his lifestyle and told him to repent, Others did the same, only to find themselves under order of execution. Jehoiakim continued to reign as a puppet king for the Babylonians following their failed invasion of Egypt in 601 BC. But then he changed his allegiance back to the Egyptians, a man clearly trying to save his own skin and throne. All his plans came to naught when the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar II finally invaded Judah and laid siege to Jerusalem. Just before the end of that siege, Jehoiakim died. What a tragic time. Eventually, Zedekiah, his younger brother, became king, and most of the population of Judah was exiled to Babylon. There was continuing unrest in Judah then. A Babylonian response to rebellion in 589 BC was particularly harsh, blockading Jerusalem and eventually burning the city and levelling its walls. Over the next few years, they killed many, ruined the economy, and they didn't stop till the kingdom of Judah was no more. More Judeans were carried off to Babylon, and this exile continued until Persia conquered Babylon itself 
about 538 BC. Cyrus the Great, the Persian leader, then allowed the Judeans to return to their homelands. It's generally thought Habakkuk was written somewhere between 609 and 598 BC, after the fall of the Assyrians and before Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. As we will see, the invasions of the Babylonians and the Persians were revealed to Habakkuk and to us then in his book. So let's think about the writing itself. It is the text of a conversation that took place about 2,600 years ago. The subject of that conversation? Prayer. Or perhaps more specifically, unanswered prayer. I wonder when you last had a conversation about prayer. Did you talk about how easy it is, about how difficult it is, whether you stand up or sit down, how you use your hands or not? Do you light a candle to help? Maybe you have no idea what to say, feel compelled to cry or shout. All these things can be important in prayer and perhaps over the next few weeks we shall think about them. But my question remains, when did you last have a conversation about prayer and who was it with? The conversation Habakkuk has about prayer is with God and it all happened because he thought that his prayer had not been answered or maybe not even heard. I wonder if you ever feel like that. I do sometimes. Helpfully for me and you, Habakkuk made this record of his conversation with God about him not answering his prayers. And although this happened 2,600 years ago, it feels as though it is speaking to our times too, with our corrupt, unjust and violent societies around the world. Habakkuk's name is thought to come from the root word for embrace, it could be that Habakkuk was doing the embracing or he was being embraced, difficult to know, and scholars take their ideas in both directions. Perhaps he was embracing his people to comfort them or maybe he was trying to embrace the problem of divine justice in a wicked world. Or again, maybe it is a picture of Habakkuk embracing God or being embraced by God. Whatever it might turn out to be, all these ideas will feature in these three chapters that we're going to consider over these next few weeks. But let's now turn to our reading for today, just the very first verse of the book. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. In the message translation we read, The problem as God gave Habakkuk to see it. Eugene Peterson describes prophets like this. Most prophets, most of the time, speak God's words to us. They are preachers calling us to listen to God's words of judgment and salvation confrontation and comfort. Habakkuk speaks our word to God. Think about some of the other prophets we know. They are not given to tact or diplomacy, are they? They face their hearers or readers with God as he is, not as might be imagined. They insist we pay attention to God. Habakkuk's not like that. He's bewildered by what God seems to be doing, or not doing in fact, and so he asks him about it. He faces God with his disappointment and wants to know what he is going to do about it. He insists that God pay attention to us, but in an equally blunt prophet-like fashion. <clears throat> I wonder if you've ever had this kind of a conversation with God in your prayer, something like, God, I don't understand, you aren't making sense. I know I have. Lots of others that I've spent time in conversation with about their everyday faith say the same too. 
it's not uncommon to feel like this from time to time. Perhaps when you became a person who follows Jesus, if you are one, a Christian, you thought that life would now bypass all the difficulties, all the mess that it had previously thrown at you. But this has made you feel less of a Christian, not a very good follower, because life still feels difficult sometimes and things trip you up. The fact that Christians don't get preferential treatment in life generally comes as a surprise. But fortunately, God knows about this, and so there are some men and women in Scripture who can help us out in these tricky, dark, failure-feeling days. Nicodemus, who we thought about last week, is one. He was so afraid of being caught out for his faith that he went to see Jesus at night. And Peter, well, we all know Peter put his foot in it, so to speak, many times. Habakkuk, too, is such a person. He dared to voice his feelings to God, and so, perhaps most importantly, God was able to show him, and therefore us too, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 Even when we don't see it. This minor prophet, major prayer, reminds us that prayer is always a contemporary experience. Habakkuk was praying for his people in their time, even though it was such an evil time. When we pray, we are generally praying about our contemporary circumstances, relevant for our time and all its current evils. As Dr Byron Allen puts it in his book written recently about Habakkuk, our 21st century is very young and its future looks very challenging. It appears as if all value to human life has vanished, Disease, famine and hunger hang like a dark cloud. Why doesn't God do something? So how is your prayer, my prayer? Do we just come to Jesus with a shopping list of needs and complaints when things don't go our way? Or is it a conversation with our Lord when things that might have been a crisis are just a normal part of our conversation with him? Habakkuk came with a load of questions and comments to God, as we shall see. Why don't you do something? You can't use them. They are less righteous than us and we are your chosen people. Why aren't you listening? Why is evil winning? Remember that God's answer to our questioning prayer is always that he knows the end from the beginning. Debbie Duncan in her recent book, Minor Prophets, Major Prayer, Getting Real with God, says this. He, God, has read the back of the book. We can trust God even when things seem confusing and messy. We can ask God these questions. We can pray to our Father and be honest with him. At the end of the prophecy, at the end of his book, we shall see, and this is a spoiler alert, that Habakkuk has a new confidence because he has talked and listened to God don't know about you, but I'd like a new confidence in my prayer, in my everyday faith journey with God. Right now, as we continue to work out what reshaping looks like for the Good Shepherd family after the pandemic, let's take this opportunity to look carefully at a person who is able to pray like this and take his lead. This is what he says. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls. Yet 
I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Amen and Amen.